Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So now the children of Israel, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And they had conquered Sion, the king of, of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, as they were coming up on the, on the eastern side of that river, of the Jordan River. And now they're parked there. They're just waiting to go in. And, but God has some unfinished business to take care of. And he has some exhortation to give them. And I, I love the fact that God gives them so many opportunities to hear the same thing. It's almost like he's making them accountable, and certainly he is. Because God is not going to hold you accountable for something that he has not made very, very clear to you. Can I keep from shouting your name? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series in chapter 31 of the book of Deuteronomy. This first teaching begins with Moses giving up his position to Joshua to take the people into the promised land under God's direction. As he brings the nation of Israel to the border of the promised land, God has instructions and directions for his people prior to them entering the land. When our God directs us, he always makes sure that his instructions are crystal clear so that we understand what his will is for our lives, and then we move forward. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Uh, Tonight, let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. We're coming to the last four chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's been a wonderful book. I I don't know about you, but I have been so enriched by um, reading and studying this book and and getting to share with you just the wonderful things in the Word of God in the the book of Deuteronomy. And I I am just, I'd love to go through this again and start from scratch again. Uh, It's a wonderful book. I'm really looking forward to getting into the book of Joshua, which is coming next. It's a wonderful book, and we're going to really, really enjoy that. But tonight we're going to be uh, just hopefully covering chapters 31 and 32. We'll see how far I get. Um, I'd like to get through both chapters. Uh, traditionally, I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd love to. Uh, but let's read chapter 31. We're just going to look at the first eight verses. We're going to read those first and then go back. Let's just read it. It says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. And I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. 
The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of a good courage, and do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. And again, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And such a wonderful verses of encouragement for a, a group of people who had failed miserably in the desert. You remember they had wandered around for 40 years in the desert after they left Egypt. What should have only taken them a couple of weeks took them 40 years. And was it because they got lost along the way? Not necessarily, but God was the one who was the throttling mechanism behind their movements. Remember, the Shekinah glory stood over the temple, or over the the tabernacle, I'm sorry. And when they were ready, God would move them. But God knew their hearts, and he knew that they weren't ready. And that's why it took them so long to to go from one place to another. It should have taken a short period of time, but 40 years, think of it. And it could have been any people group. It could have been Italians. It could have been Irish. It could have been the Germans. It didn't matter who God chose to lead through the wilderness coming out of a pagan land. Because every one of us possesses a spirit that is in rebellion against God. Each one of us possess a fallen nature that we were all born with, a sin nature that is bent on rebellion and disobedience. And so as he's leading them, You know, God has uh, obviously got them right to the edge of the promised land. And so now the children of Israel, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And they had conquered Sion, the king of of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, as they were coming up on on the eastern side of that river, of the Jordan River. And now they're parked there. They're just waiting to go in. And But God has some unfinished business to take care of. And he has some exhortation to give them. And I, I love the fact that God gives them so many opportunities to hear the same thing. It's almost like he's making them accountable. And certainly he is. Because God is not going to hold you accountable for something that he has not made very, very clear to you. That's just how great of a God he is. He's not going to hold something over your head and you're going to be like, well, you know, this is the first time I heard of it, Lord. Have you ever told your child to clean their room? And you told them four times, and then finally they, they take the earbuds out of their ears, and then they, what do you say? Uh, for the fifth time now, go clean your room. right? But God told them in their hearing several times. He gave them every opportunity. And so they're there, and they're getting ready to go over and possess this great and wonderful land flowing with milk and honey, a land that God had given them. Let's look at verse 1 again. It says, uh, it says, then Moses went and he spoke these words to all Israel. Verse 2, he said to them, I am 120 years old today and I can no longer go out and come in. 120 years. Think of the triadic life that, there's a word for you, triadic life. It's a word I made up today. It's a musical term, but it fits, I think. And you think you'll see why. Because Moses was 120 years and he spent three triads or a triad, uh, three different sections of his life. You remember the first 40 years is when he was brought up in Pharaoh's house. 
He's brought up in Pharaoh's house, taught all of the great and wonderful things of the culture and of the world, and a very wise and understanding man, a very well-schooled man, very well-educated. And then because of his murder and of the Egyptian, uh, after God had spoken to him, he's now running for his life from the new Pharaoh, and he's out in the wilderness for 40 years, and he finds a man by the name of Jethro, and he marries one of his daughters. And finally, he spends 40 years in the wilderness in Midian, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia, spent 40 years being a shepherd. And then God speaks to him again, and he brings him back into Egypt to lead his people out of Egypt. And so he does that. And finally, so now we're getting toward the end of Moses' life. But I love what it says here. Actually, it's a kind of a tragedy, actually. He says, I can no longer come in and go out among you because I'm so old. And also the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. And you might want to ask your question, the question, why? Lord, why would you not allow him? Why would God not allow a man who endured so much to enter the land that he had promised to his ancestors and to his progeny? Why would God tell him, sorry, Moses, after 40 years of faithfulness, you messed up a couple times, but can't let you in? Why would God do such a thing? Well, you remember back in Exodus 17, this was the second month after they came out of, out of Egypt. And they are in the desert, and they are thirsty very naturally, and begin to complain to Moses and to God. And you remember what God told Moses. He says, take your rod that you use to separate the seas, Moses, and you go and you strike a specific rock. Or actually, you just speak to the rock. No, I'm sorry, strike the rock. Strike the rock, and water will come out for these people. And so Moses does exactly what the Lord says. He goes over, takes the rod, and I don't even think he needed to smack it hard. I don't, I don't think he had to wind back like, you know, Joe Namath, or not Joe Namath, he, he's a football guy. Who? Somebody. It doesn't matter. Joe DiMaggio? Yes. So he winds back. You don't know how much. He could have just tapped the rock or hit it. It doesn't really matter. Water comes forth out of the rock. Everyone is blessed. They feed their flocks. They feed their families. Everything is good. Well, fast forward now at least two years from that moment. There comes another time when they're thirsty again. They've moved on, and now they're in a different place, and they're thirsty. And God tells Moses, now, Moses, just go speak to the rock, and water will come forth. And you remember what Moses did because he was so angry at the people because they were frustrated with Moses. They were ready to stone him. They were angry, not satisfied with God's provision. So he goes to the rock, and not only did he hit it once, but he hit it twice. He hit it twice. And so God tells him, Moses, you cannot pass over. In fact, in Numbers chapter 20, if you look at the first 13 verses of Numbers chapter 20, it outlines this event, but this is what the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Okay, Moses and Aaron, he said to them, because you did not believe me to hallow me, to make me, uh, you know, to hallow my name in front of all these people in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Ouch. To Moses and to Aaron, you will not bring my people in. And this is important. Because as Christians, as Moses learned the hard way, we as Christians need to be good examples. We need to be faithful ambassadors of Christ. 
It's not only important for what we do for the Lord, but how we do it as well. Because why? The, the ends never justify the means. And we've we got to do things in God's way and in God's timing. We don't have the right to go outside, to color outside of the lines when he's given us very clear boundaries. He's given us clear boundaries, and yet we love to scratch outside of the lines and color and do our own thing and draw smiley faces off to the side. And he say, color within the lines. Peter, in his epistle, he said uh, to the Christians at that time in the first century, he said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you and serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And I love this, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And why? For when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so it was really important for Moses to rightly represent God, and he failed to represent God. And so they were forbidden to cross over the Jordan for another reason. Because they destroyed the biblical type that we, I believe God was establishing. The biblical type, and you may be wondering, what is a biblical type? A biblical type is when a person, an event, or a thing is so fashioned or appointed as to resemble another. The one is made to answer to the other in some feature. In some particulars, the one matches the other. And so a biblical type, some examples might be Enoch. You remember Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God translated him. Enoch is a type of the church that was raptured. We know that Joseph was not a perfect type, but he was a type of Christ, suffering at the hands of his own brothers and all the things that he uh, endured. Amalek in the Bible is a type of the flesh, and Jonah certainly is a type of being in the welly of the, uh, the, welly of the fish. Being in the welly, that's a new term. You heard it now, the welly of the fish. In the belly of the fish for three days, because Christ was in the belly of the earth for three days as well. So Jonah is a type of Christ, and and certainly all these types aren't perfect, and they all break down at some point, but it's a type. And so God was establishing a type. So what was this type? Well, the rock is a representation of who? Jesus. There they are in the desert, and, and God says, Moses, strike the rock in Exodus 17. Two months out of Egypt, just strike the rock once. So he did. Two years later, they're in the same situation again. Moses, don't strike the rock. It's already been struck once. Now just speak to the rock, and it will give forth water. In 1 Corinthians, so, well, let me back up. The rock, it is a type of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. Notice verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That's a type, what, what Paul is telling them there. And why is this a big deal? Because... Jesus was struck once, right? We know that he was struck once. The bruise of God in in Isaiah speaks of him being uh, bruised for our iniquities, right? He was struck once by God the Father and didn't need to be struck again. 
Once he needed to be struck. And so the type is very important. And God held Moses, not only because Moses exhibited anger when he struck that rock twice, but he was also breaking the type that I believe God was trying to establish. All these things in the Old Testament, that's what's so wonderful about the Old Testament. As you study it, as you learn it, and as you go into the New Testament, you see so many facets of Jesus. It's just incredible. I mean, every page, there's something about the Lord in it, if you're looking for it. And it's not hard. It's not hard to see. But Jesus was struck once. In Romans 6, verse 10, it says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, it says, He does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first of his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. He did it once and for all. In Hebrews 9, it says, But Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of his creation. Here's the verse, Hebrews 9, 12, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place. How many times? Once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Once and for all. The type stands. Strike the rock once, Moses. The next time you speak to it, you don't need to strike it again. So God was very concerned, not only about Moses exhibiting his anger, but also a type that I believe God was portraying. Now, we know the type is there, even in spite of Moses. Aren't you glad that God is not limited by us? He's not limited by the the vessels that he uses. He could have just wiped everything out and started all over again and waited for somebody perfect to come along. But he'd be waiting a long time. (laughs) wouldn't he? He'd been waiting for a very long time. God uses people like you and I. He uses imperfect vessels. Aren't you glad of his love and grace? He so so loves you, and even in spite of your rebellion, even in spite of your sin, he he so desires to use your life and just to to be glorified in and through your life. And he knows that you're inconsistent. And the world will point out those inconsistencies. The fake news will tell you that, you know, uh, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. And, but, but God says, you know, I, but he did this wonderful thing. How come you're not talking about that? Because that was really good. And I've forgiven him for all those things besides. So go away. Love that. In Hebrews chapter 9, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. Once and for all. The, will, the, the type stands. And this is important. Why? Because some religious systems, they commit heresy inadvertently and sometimes advert, advertently by sacrificing Jesus again and again. And what am I speaking of? The Catholic Mass, specifically. If you're a Catholic tonight or you've been in the Catholic Church, you know the Catholic Mass is something that they do every Saturday. And the Catholic Mass, uh, they, they perform something, or Sunday, is it Friday night? It is Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it gets... Okay, so there we have it. So you can see how much I know. But the Catholic Mass is something that they, they, they do often. And, and what happens is, is they have the, the bread and the cup there, and they go through a process called transubstantiation. It's a fancy word. Basically what it means is they go through some kind of... Uh, ritual where the body or the, the bread and the cup become literally the body and the blood of Jesus, and they sacrifice him afresh every time. Every time. It's, it's in their own literature. It's in their own 
uh, catechisms and everything in their own documents. They sacrifice him again. But the Bible says, and I've just read them to you several times, that there's once he was sacrificed once. So there's no need to be sacrificing him over again. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do this to sacrifice me again and again and again. Once, once he was sacrificed. That's why it's a big deal. That's why that type is so significant. Because people today are doing the same kind of things. Sacrificing Jesus again on the cross. That's why we don't have a cross there's nothing wrong with having a cross in a church, okay? But you know what? We don't have a cross, and you know the reason we don't? It's because he's no longer on the cross. He died on the cross, but guess what? He went into the tomb. Three days later, he rose, and guess what? He, re- he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> he's no longer on the cross, so we don't have Jesus on the cross. That's right, and he abides in us. But notice, even Peter who the Catholics believe are the... And again, I'm not here tonight to bash Catholics. I don't like their doctrine. Their doctrine is wrong. The people God loves, and we ought to love them as well. But their doctrine is wrong. And this is what Peter said, who is supposedly the first pope, according to the Roman Catholic tradition. This is what Peter said in First Peter chapter 3. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. That's right from Peter's mouth. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, and being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And by the way, Peter wasn't celibate either, as the Roman Catholics hold the priest today to be celibate. That's why there's so many pedophiles and so many twisted things. God had given them a desire, a natural God-given desire within the bonds of marriage, but now they can't be married. So all of a sudden, behind the closed doors, all kinds of weirdness is happening. Shame on them for putting that yoke on these men. And shame on them for not leaving and and realizing and reading the Bible for themselves and and, and knowing what the Lord uh, has given them to enjoy within the bonds of marriage. But but Peter wasn't even celibate. celibate. He had a wife. Jesus healed his mother-in-law, or Peter's Peter's (laughs) mother-in-law. Let's go on to verse 3. It says, The Lord your God himself, he crosses over before you, and he will, notice, he will destroy. We're back in Deuteronomy 31 here, verse 3. He will destroy those nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. You're going to dispossess them. Boy, that's a word that our culture, it's not politically correct today. To dispossess anything or anyone is just horrible today because they had a right to be there. You know, you had a right to be there. (laughs) Well, you know what? God has the right to revoke that. He has a right. He gave them hundreds of years, those nations, those seven nations in Canaan. He gave them hundreds of years to repent. In fact, he waited. He says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I'm not going to bring my people out of Egypt yet because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, God was giving them a gas gauge. And there came a point where he said, you know what? I've given them enough time to repent. And God, only God knows that time. And I'm so glad that he does. He is the ultimate accountability. For one person, he may give you this much time. For another person, it's this. And it's a mystery to me how he can know the, the difference. That's why he knows you so intimately, so perfectly. You don't need to worry. Just give your heart now to him and, res- and give everything over to him. And don't hide anything from him. Get transparent before the Lord as soon as possible. Drop all those things that you're, you're holding on to, all those habitual sins, whatever it is. Because even as a Christian, you don't know when the time is that he's going to say, you know what, I've given you, you're coming, to, you're coming to me and you're one of mine, but you know what, there's this issue in your life that you just, you've not 
dealt with it. And God doesn't want to expose you. He would much rather speak quietly, personally, quietly to you where nobody can see or hear. But it's true because I've seen it, that God will take somebody who is a believer even and say, you know what, I've, I've given you so much rope. I've given you so much grace, but now the only way I'm going to get you to turn, my son, my daughter, is to let this thing be exposed. And we've seen it, haven't we? And it's horrible to see. And hopefully none of us will ever experience that. But notice what he says here in verse 3. He will destroy those nations. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.